Welcome builders from Lakeland, Florida. This is the Build Your Success Leadership Podcast with your host, Brian Brogen. We're going to empower and equip you to build yourself and then build others. Now, let's build up with your host, Brian Brogen. Welcome to our growing audience on the Build Your Success Podcast. We want to empower and equip you to have a better career and enjoy a better life. We do that through guest speakers on our podcast. And today we have Bart Drag. Bart has been in the industry for a while. He is founder of the Blue Collar University. He's also had a career that spanned as a manager and supervisor of some pretty tough industries, including rice farming, working on oil drilling rigs, industrial dismantling, including an entire oil refinery, and more. Today, people see he runs his own successful business. What they don't see are the struggles he went through as a father trying to raise a son that he's very proud of as a former Marine and now a police officer. Keeping food on the table and a roof over their heads was a priority, and sometimes it consumed life. It was a struggle because he always imagined and title only and didn't know what it meant to be a leader. He was good at a great many things, troubleshooting, logistics, managing, but he was a crappy leader of the people. He's gotten better at that. So today, we've got Bart on the call here. He's going to tell us about how he became a better leader. Welcome, Bart. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you. Colleague today, and this is going to be a great podcast talking about how he's transitioning from a, a frontline worker to a supervisor or a manager. And so, I just want to ask you I know you and I have had some conversations about this. What tips do you have to help a new manager grow and thrive in this, when they get newly promoted? It's a great question to start with, Brian. Let's take it down to uh, the base level that both they can understand and hopefully if there are any uh, business owners listening, they'll be, be able to understand also. The transition from, I'll call it off the tools, it's just a term I'm familiar with, into management is uh, not as simple as we'd like to have it happen. The mechanic or the operator that you go to on Friday and say, hey, buddy, I love what you do. You're a great mechanic. You're a great operator. You're a great guy. Monday, you're a manager. And then Monday, they show up, and they're not meeting the expectations that the business owner or, or leader had. And everybody's like, why is this happening? So there are a couple of things that we need to understand about that shift. The most obvious is environmental. Maybe they're, they're, most of their day is spent in the cab of a, of a backhoe or excavator or whatever that looks like, whoever that might be that day. And then now they're in a broom closet. It feels like a broom closet. They've got a laptop and a three-inch ring binder and a cell phone. And they're like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And the problem is that they won't admit that because you put them there. And when you put them there, in their mind, they're thinking, they put me here. Therefore, I must know this job. Therefore, I can't admit I don't know this job. So the first thing is admit it. You need help ask for it. The second thing is there's a physical change to the brain. And if you're if you're blue collar like I was, I still consider myself that, we work primarily with tools and objects. And then we went into management, now we work primarily with people 
processing and data. Those are all different areas of the brain that need to be developed. So you're having to switch from one part of the brain to another part of the brain, and it's like learning to drive or operate a backhoe. When you first get in the backhoe, you put one outrigger down, and you put the other outrigger down, and you maybe uncurl the bucket, and you extend the boom one thing at a time. Over time, as you practice and focus and listen to other people, which is key, then you became smooth and all became almost fluid. Like, people don't even realize how you can handle that many uh, handles and a throttle and, and it just looks so great. This is what the transition to management supervision looks like. Pick something, move on and practice that and get better at it and then add another layer to it and get another layer to it. But you have to start by understanding you don't know everything and you're going to have to practice things. And then all that leads to this. As a new manager, you lack credibility. You start out with some credibility because the, the person who put you there has credibility, but you're off operating on their credibility, not your own. You've got to build credibility. And I know this is wonderful. Yes, I think for you personally, the most important thing is if you need help asking, well, that's just so hard, especially blue collar people. We don't necessarily like to ask for help. It's kind of hard for us to admit that we need help. And, uh, right. Supervisor, it's great to ask. Your supervisor, your manager wants you to ask. And then this, this whole, you, you call it a, a physical change, brain switch. I like to think of it as a mindset change. Yeah. Also, the arts of managing people because different people have different strengths and different blind spots, and you have to find where they're best utilized. What, 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 what the fair function is in your organization? I, I do sometimes. I think it's myself when I'm, when I'm managing a team of people. I remember remind myself: stop operating the heat and put pull this lever. This happens. Move this way. This happens. And be aware of your surroundings. I think that's a great analogy. Thanks for sharing. Right. Well, sure. Take that analogy a little further. Each person is a different piece of equipment. They, oh, each person has the capabilities of doing different things. And you have to be able to identify what those capabilities are and which, pardon the cliche, button to push or lever to pull to get them to do that. And then we're definitely, I don't think either of us is talking about it being obvious, because it's Ukraine and no. they have different roles, different responsibilities, and different strengths, and, and we will work towards recognizing, you know, like they say, have the right people in the right place on the bus. Exactly, exactly. That's uh, Jim Collins, right? Right. Yep. So one of the things you said here is that management and leadership at their core are the results of two things, conversations and decisions. I'd love for you to expound on that for our listeners. Okay. So the first thing that we want to talk about is conversations. Now, I'm not going to tell you, I don't use the word communication, because the definition of communication, and I looked this up several times a year for the last five years, 
it's always in the top 1% of words searched for on Merriam-Webster online. It's often misunderstood. But the other thing about it is if you read that definition, and I won't, it lacks one critical component, and that is understanding. The definition of communication basically says we're going to transmit information. But it doesn't say anything about the receiver understanding the information. In a conversation, not an argument, not a dialogue, not a mon monologue, in a conversation, information flows back and forth easily. And so understanding moves back and forth um, readily. The other thing is about decision making, and the reason we have to, well, to make a good decision, we need facts, we need information. And if, let's just take, take the scenario where you're trying to figure out what went wrong, which is common, right? So, what, what usually happens though, instead of having a conversation, we go looking for who was, was, was responsible for, for whatever it is that went wrong. What we should be looking for is how it went wrong. And so when you use the word who, everybody ducks and runs to cover. There are no conversations. If, if anybody says anything, it's to cover their butt. If you use how in the proper manner with the right tone of voice and body language, like, I'm curious, how, how did we let that happen? How did we not do that correctly? Now you're part of the team. Now you're, you're, you're having a conversation with them and the information is going to flow more freely. Then you can make a more informed decision about what the next step might look like. Yeah, that's really good. And, and then how instead of who, you know, too often people are actually looking to, to place the blame on someone else to find that, that person to lay it on and that scapegoat, if you will. You talked about don't use the word communication, and I, rem I was reminded of a quote I have. It's the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. That's by James Bernard Shaw. So that wow, that's great. We have a because we said something that was that was communication. And, uh, right. Right. That big word communication in the industry. I do have to agree with you. It's overused. In my coaching and training business, we get a lot of questions about better communication. Uh, so, but I don't think everyone understands that it's, it's definitely a two-way. You gotta hear and listen to understand and not respond. I can't tell you how many times I've said that on this podcast. It's because it's something that I've struggled with, so glad that's good. Mm -hmm. You need to play here with, uh, conversations, this isn't that you go hand in hand. You cannot make effective decisions without having meaningful conversations. And I think that's right. what we're talking about. Accountability and respect. Uh, a successorship requires three components. Agreement, accountability, and respect. Right. So, if you're going to go into a partnership with uh, somebody, and the reason I'm using the analogy of partnership is because management, to me, is like a partnership. In any partnership, whether it's husband and wife, uh, whether it's a business partnership, whether it's volunteering, whatever that, that may be, there are three components that have to exist. One, you have to agree. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is when we're going to have it done by, and this is who's responsible for which chunk of it, right? So, 
We have those components agreed upon. And then the accountability part is because we laid out the agreement in the proper format up front, the accountability part is, hey, um, you know, if we had an agreement, it's past the deadline, and I'm not seeing whatever it is that, you know, you're supposed to do. I'm not seeing your part of this uploaded. So that's the, the ability to hold somebody accountable. So from a, from a management standpoint, it's simply saying to, to your team, this is what I need you to do today, and be very, very clear on what it is. Not micromanaging, but be very clear. I need you to do that by the end of the day. And if you have any issues at all, talking to me about it, we'll work through it together. At the end of the day, then you can hopefully praise them and say, hey, great job, appreciate you getting that done. If not, then it's about accountability. That part, though, is not saying, hey, you didn't get it done. What the heck? It's, all right, what happened here? How do we deal with it? How did this happen? How did we not get it done? How can we do better? Okay? And then... The third part is respect, and that just shows up in all of the conversation. You have to respect people. Hey, you want to be respected. They are not going to respect you just because you have the title. They're going to respect you because of your attitude and what you do for them. And that comes into another part that I talk about often. Just because you have the title doesn't make you a manager. It's your attitude and what you do for your team. See, they got to flip. We have to flip this perspective as managers. The team doesn't work for the manager. The manager works for the team. And when, when you get that perspective, the manager sets the team up for success so that when the entire team is successful, then the manager looks good. It's, it's self-serving, yes, but it's self-serving in a good way. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's the reason why I went to this, this conversation you have about servant leadership. And again, it's often overused and misunderstood, very similar to, to the communication piece. You say here, job is set the team up for success, and that is servant leadership. So, what are some other ways? We, we, we definitely just talked about that. But what are some other ways that a servant leader can set his team up for success? Well, the obvious ones are logistics. What does the team need to get their job done today? If you're building a house or building that they need that truckload of rafters delivered by whatever time that might be, um, do they need, you know, when do they need diesel, those kinds of things. Um, but the other thing is, there are a couple other things that I want to point out. One is looking at, and we can talk about this separately, but looking at the one thing that each individual needs to, to be better at what they do. And the other thing is they need to, uh, the manager needs to advocate up. They need to be able to stand in the gap with their boss and their company and say, look, we can get this done, but we need this kind of help, whether it be training or tools or supplies or whatever it is. You want it done? Great. This is what we need. So they need to advocate for the team. Either advocate, either voice. I mean, they're not always going to get a voice from senior management and and you need to have their back, and they need to trust that you have their back. That that's really right. As you alluded to, with, with a team, I'm either going to succeed with the team, or I'm going to fail with the team. And, and the ship's going down, and we're all in this together. Exactly. 
And if you think that if you think that you can just blame it on the team, you're sadly mistaken. Everybody sees through that. So, what are some other struggles that you you face as a leader? Um, I know you've alluded to some of this up here in bio, but specifically, give us an example of something that was just a trial for you as a leader. Well, I'll just tell you a short story. It's a key thing to, to me. When I was 36 years old, I found myself in the emergency room at the trauma center because they thought I'd had a heart attack, and it was due to the stress. I was working for a refinery service company at the time as an operations manager, and um, 10 hour days were short days, 12 hours was common. Sometimes working 36 hours straight was back in the day when when you did what you did to get it done. They don't have you know why you do that anymore, but um, and the stress, I mean, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking two pots of, pots of coffee a day, uh, a hot lunch with a hot dog off the rack at the local 7-Eleven, those kinds of things. And so, um, I had a heart attack, and or they thought I had a heart attack, it turned out I didn't, but that was on a Thursday, I took Friday and Saturday and Sunday off, and I went back on Monday. Um, and over the weekend, I decided to make a change. I said, I'm going to quit drinking coffee, and I'm just going to quit caffeine. There's two, uh, two liters of soda a day. So quit caffeine, and I'm going to go vegetarian, and I'm going to quit smoking. I'm all going to do it all right now. I'm going to do it right now. So I went on Monday, survived the Monday. Come Tuesday, I walked into my office, and on my desk is a cream ashtray, pack of Marlboro's, a lighter, hot cup of coffee, and a bottle of soda. And the book. Bill Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. In my office were also my boss and my entire crew, and they all looked at me, and my boss said two words. He said, no more. And everybody walked out the door. I read that book without going to sleep that night, and I thought, this can't be. This isn't how people operate. But at the age of 36, Brian, I still didn't know how people operated. And that was the key for me figuring out the one thing that and from there I started learning about people and leadership style and what it took. I could just, I, I saw that as you were speaking that you did as a great description of it. Because you know, at least me, when I when I've worked twenty four hours, I am useless. Well, right. So hard for leaders to do is to turn over something, and, and maybe it's easy for leaders to do. It's probably harder for managers to do. To well, right. Well, a good leader understands that they need to turn it over. When I was young, I'm, I'm, I was on a drilling rig facing a blowout, and we lived on drilling rigs back in the day. Still do, actually. Um, and I had six days and seven nights of no sleep. But do you think I would remember anything past the first day? Nothing. I remember nothing. I was useless. The problem with that isn't just that, that I was useless. It was that I didn't have confidence in my people because I didn't I didn't have them trained up to the level that I needed them to be so that they could handle the human situations that came up, right? So um so that's the difference between being being just a manager and being a true leader, a true leader delegates things. They they train their people and they send, and they advocate for them and they set them up for 
Tech and they say, go do. And, and they're there to support them as opposed to doing it themselves. Leadership is not doership. If you're doing and not leading, then I'm paying you too much. He's out there. He's, he's a guy as well. He's like, I'm a guy as well. I'm not I'm no longer a welder. I'm a right. I'm not the only thing as well because you've taken that and the rest of us are okay, he's doing it. And, and right. And it's really easy to before. Senior management needs to do a better job of training these middle level supervisors and frontline supervisors that, hey, you've got to step back now. It's no longer your role to dive in. It's your role right. to fire drill. It happens. But you got to recognize that and say, hey, I'm taking the next step. I'm moving this. And not to uh, demean the workers. That's not at all. That's our root. They need you and want you to plan the next step for them. It's okay. To go well for a few minutes to show a guy maybe a technique or something that makes it easier on him. He's a new guy or he's never seen it before. It's okay. At that point, you're a coach, which is also part of the job, right? So you can coach them, but coaching isn't doing also. Remember that. Helping and guiding someone else to do it. Hey, let them take these same steps, earn those same stripes you had to earn in the year, young person. Right. And the more they do it, the better they'll get at it. Slow and smooth, smooth and fast. That reminds me of another quote John Maxwell that said, if you want to go fast or long, if you want to go far, take someone with you. Exactly. Perfect. Yep. Well, I appreciate everything you doing. We thought it was inspiring. You've got these two books that I see you maybe have more, but, uh, their managers now what? Can it work in our listeners find that book? Um, pretty much any outlet that Amazon and Barnes and Noble for sure. And then what are the other ways that the listeners can uh, get in touch with you? What's your social media? Just every way to find out what Mark's doing. Well, interestingly enough, if you Google my name, Bart Gregg, I am the only one that Google knows it. Apparently, I'm unique, which doesn't help with the cops are looking for me. But you know, it is. It is. So, Bart at Blue Collar Views is my email. Uh, Blue Collar, www.bluecollarviews.com is the website. And my phone number is 925-354-0277. Um, sometimes I'd rather talk than, than see the emails back and forth. So, whatever you want to do. All those methods to get a hold of Bart and see what he's doing. Rather than grab a copy of his book. And the subtitle is How to Develop Blue Collar Managers and Supervisors, and that's basically what we've talked about today. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Do me a favor. Go over to whatever podcast you're, you're listening to, whether it's Apple or whether it's Spotify or Google. Give us a comment about the podcast. Give us an honest feedback. Like the podcast. Give us an honest rating. And share this podcast with others. You can also suggest someone for the podcast by going to our website, www.buildcs.net, and go to our podcast link, and there's an application there to become a, uh, be a guest. So you can do that for yourself, or you can even suggest someone else and make an application as long as you meet, uh, 
the theme of our podcast and have you on the podcast as a guest. Thanks for your time today. Remember to build yourself and then build others. Want to learn how to build yourself and build your team? Visit www.buildcs.net and learn about Brian's programs, special offers, and more. Build yourself and then build others.